We've got one of the biggest, most resplendent, and highly attended masses of the entire liturgical year coming up. Are you planning on attending? Have you participated in the past? Oh, and I'm not talking about the Easter Vigil. Know which one I mean? I'll fill you in, coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome, friends, to The Inner Life. I'm Patrick Conley, and I'm grateful you've tuned in. Thanks for making the show part of your walk of faith today. Did you guess which Mass I'm referring to? One of the largest, most glorious Masses of the year that's just around the corner? If you guessed the Chrism Mass, you've got it. Get yourself an extra cup of coffee on me. Well, no, don't send me any bills for coffee. Yes, the Chrism Mass. I say most resplendent and most glorious because at the Chrism Mass... The church militant, the church here on earth, is on such grand display. I've been a few times to the Chrism Mass in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, which is held at the magnificent Cathedral of St. Paul. And it, the Chrism Mass, is glorious. So many of the priests and deacons of the Archdiocese are present, along with seminarians, some of whom serve the Mass, the Knights of Columbus in their full regalia, the Order of Malta, the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre, sisters and brothers from a host of religious orders, hundreds of laity, and of course, the Archbishop himself, along with his auxiliary bishops. Such a great representation of the local church. I mean, the opening procession alone often takes like 10 to 15 minutes. And it is here at the Chrism Mass in every diocese that the bishop blesses all the sacred oils to be used in the sacraments over in the coming year. And it's a sight to behold, especially imagining all the souls whose lives will be touched by the Holy Spirit through this sacred practice of anointing. And that's our focus today here on The Inner Life, the practice of anointing. We'll chat about the oils used the Chrism Mass, and just how God draws us closer to himself through the sacraments that include anointing. Joining us today as our spiritual director is Father Jim Goins, the pastor of St. Eugene Parish in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. Good morning, Father. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Patrick. It's great to be with you. Well, let's start with the Chrism Mass. I assume you've attended your fair share of Chrism Masses in the past, Father? (laughs) Uh, I have. I've been ordained now for almost 31 years, so almost 40 of them by now, because I would attend uh, as a seminarian before I was ordained a priest. So a good good number of them. Very good. And so take us into it a little bit here. I mean, what, what makes it—I've talked about it some, but what struck you about the Chrism Mass? What makes it different than a typical Mass? At the heart of the Chrism Mass, Patrick, of course, is this great visible sign of unity, the local church in union with its bishop, the priests in union with their bishop, the laity, the deacons. And as you so wonderfully pointed out, we also get women religious. We get Knights of Malta, the, the Holy Sepulchre Order, all of these different uh, units of the local church gather together and express their union with their bishop and his ministry. It's a beautiful thing to see. And as you mentioned, the procession in itself is worth attending the Mass 
to see the glory of the local church gathered in prayer together. Oh, it's it it is. It's it's amazing to me to watch it and to just uh, thank God, right, for all the calls that he has put out on these men and women's lives as you're seeing all these people uh, gathered around and as the opening procession uh, takes place. It is such a—in fact, I um, was directing RCIA up in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis as well, and I would have my my elect and candidates come to the Chrismas just so they could see— that and every once in a while too, they'd be mentioned, and people would just <laughs> uh, kind of erupt in this uh, uproarious applause for them, knowing that uh, the church was growing. It wasn't just the people who were there, but it was growing as well. What a what exactly, a glorious thing! Exactly. Yeah. And for priests, I think when the seminarians are able to come home for the chrism mass, for us, it is this great sign of hope. Because we can look at these young men who are studying for the priesthood, and they're there with us, and we know that our ministry will continue after that we are gone from the the vineyards of this world, that there will be young men to take our place. So it's a great and hopeful Mass, one of the best it is. of the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, the, at the Chrism Mass, I know the priests do make this renewal of promises. Um, why is that important? Speaking as a priest, why is that important for you to do, Father? Our promises have to be living promises. They can't simply be part of our history as a priest. Oh, yes, I did that when I was ordained. No, these promises, we live them out. And in order to live them out each and every day, there must be a moment of the year in which they are verbally renewed, visibly renewed, that we stand with our bishop again. And in front of all of the different aspects of the local church, in front of all of those people, we once again renew our fidelity to the gospel, to the church, and to our bishop. And it's a it's a wonderful thing. And again, I know as as a layperson, as I'm as I'm hearing you all um, renew your promises, it's a it, it's such a gift. Uh, it's such a wonderful thing to know that um, you are continuing to say yes, because it's a yes that must be said every day. I am sure, um, if not every moment exactly. of every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, so obviously, again, um, we're also at this at the Chrism Mass. It's called the Chrism Mass, the Oil Mass, if you will, because of the blessing that are that comes down from the bishop onto the oils. Um, so, tell us about the oils, the different oils that are blessed during the Chrism Mass, Father. Let's talk about the oil of the sick first. This one is the oil that is most often used. Many of your listeners, no doubt, have had experience with this. We know it's biblical. St. James, the letter of James tells us, you know, are there any sick among you? Call for the presbyters and have them, you know, anointed with the holy oil. So a big part of priestly ministry is, is taking out these, these holy oils into uh, homes or nursing facilities or hospitals and anointing the sick. And to know that 
these oils are blessed by the bishop, that they are an extension of his ministry, that we are his co-workers, if you will, and that we take these holy oils that he has blessed at the cathedral, and then these are sent all throughout the archdiocese. And the mandate is take these holy oils and find those who are sick and suffering and give them this sacrament and let them know that they are not alone, they are not forgotten, that the local church remembers them and will bring Christ to them. That's the beauty of the blessing of the oil for the sick. Right. The next one I would talk about is the oil of catechumens. And if you've been to a baptism, for example, you have seen this oil used. It is used in a baptism to prepare the person, the baby or the person to be baptized, to cleanse them, to strengthen them, to help them renounce the the allure of of evil and the the snare of the devil it's very important that this oil be understood you know it's a powerful anointing and this is also blessed by the bishop and again sent throughout the archdiocese to be used in the parishes and in that anointing those who are anointed are given the the ability you know, to understand more deeply the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout their labors and throughout their lives. So even when we use it on a little baby, it is a powerful anointing to strengthen them and to cleanse them, to prepare them for living in Christ. The one that I think people love the most is the chrism, the the fragrant oil. It's it's olive oil and then balsam. So it has this beautiful fragrance. And often the cathedral is sort of filled with this wonderful uh, aroma. And this is the chrism that is used to, you know, anoint young men who will be priests, for example, uh, used at confirmation, used to anoint altars. At my previous parish, we built a new church, and the bishop came and and anointed the altar itself with these oils. And to remember, oh, I was there when that oil was blessed. And you know, this, uh, this blessing, the bishop breathes on the oil because it is a sign of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in the church. So to watch the bishop interact with these things of the earth, these simple elements of the earth, but then to consecrate them, to dedicate them to the use of Christ's ministry, and that wonderful moment when he breathes over it, and we are reminded of the breath of God over the waters at creation to bring forth a new and graced order within the universe. I find it very moving. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's amazing to just focus in on that moment. Um, to yeah, like you say, you see the you you get all the biblical imagery coming to mind, and then again, you you can see that just continuing on in our local church today. 
Our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life is Father Jim Goins from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. And we are talking about anointing. We're talking about the chrism mass specifically, and we're talking about oils. When was a time when you received anointing? Maybe it was the anointing of the sick, and we'll get into that, certainly. Maybe it was confirmation. Maybe it was at your baptism. Maybe there was some time when you've received an anointing. Uh, and what has that meant to you? What is that? Uh, how has that enriched your spiritual life? How does receiving that anointing change you and draw you closer to the Lord? Give us a call. Join the conversation. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. So, Father, why oil? I mean, where where does that come from? Where did we get the idea that we should be using, as you said, a very earthy thing like oil in these anointings? That's a great question. You know, the use of oil predates Christianity and even predates Judaism. Oil was used in the ancient world for so many different purposes. Remember, there were not medications as we know them, but the ancients would use oil to to help the body heal. Athletes in the ancient world would use it to, you know, to strengthen their their muscles or to help them to get ready to run a race. Hmm. They used it very often to bathe the ancient Romans. They didn't have soap as we know it, but they would use oil to help cleanse the the body, to wash the hair. In Judaism, it became very theological, mm-hmm. and oil was used to consecrate, to anoint a king, that wonderful image in the Old Testament where the Lord sins the prophet out to find the new king of Israel, and it is David. And and the Lord tells the prophet, you know, fill your flask with oil and go to Jesse's house and anoint the new king. So it takes on this, this new relationship that it is no longer simply something of the earth. It is something of the earth that is then used to consecrate men and women to God. It becomes part of that mediation that things of the earth are used by God to give us his grace and his strength. So Christianity then picks up this this new and profound meaning of the use of oils from our Jewish roots, our Jewish ancestry, and it is used then extensively, in Christian worship and and the sacraments of, of the church. Mm-hmm. But it is an ancient, ancient uh, custom to use oil. All right. And it's a it's a a wonderful it, it fits obviously with the sacrament sacramental nature of the church, with the sacramentality of the church to use the things of earth as as vehicles for the grace of God. And specifically in this practice of anointing. Now, you did mention uh, anointing an altar. So, um, again, we want to talk about the sacraments themselves. But there are there are things that are anointed as well, and not not simply just people. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Things are anointed. For example, a new altar can be anointed by a bishop. The walls 
of a new church are anointed, the walls itself, so that the building becomes something more than brick and mortar. It becomes a living place for living faith. It's a beautiful picture, beautiful image. Our spiritual director, again, is Father Jim Goins from St. Eugene Parish in Oklahoma City, and grateful to have him with us. We're grateful to have you with us. If there was a time when you have received anointing or perhaps you've witnessed a chrism mass and had a faith-building experience at a chrism mass, or perhaps you have uh, seen the dedication of a church or you've seen an altar anointed, we'd love to hear your story. What did that mean to you in your spiritual journey? Our phone number here is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or again, our email address, innerlife@relevantradio.com. We'll get into all the sacraments that uh, use anointing. We'll dive deeper into those when we come back after this short break, so stay with us. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio on relevantradio.com and streaming on the Relevant Radio app, wherever you're listening to us today. Thanks for joining us. My name is Patrick Conley. Our spiritual director today is Father Jim Goins, pastor of St. Eugene Parish in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, we are talking about anointing. We are talking about chrism mass. We are talking about oils used in all those many sacraments that involve anointing. And we've got a phone call. Uh, let's go to Benito, who's calling in from California. Benito, welcome to The Inner Life. Well, thank you. for. Uh, oh, um, yeah, I wanted to share with the audience uh, uh, that I was um, fortunate enough to be invited for the opening of uh, the uh, Christ Cathedral, where it used to be the Crystal Cathedral in Anaheim. Hmm. Uh, my brother Knights and us, uh, we escorted, actually opened up. And the odd thing was they said, don't bow at the altar. And I was like, what? Well, it hadn't been anointed yet. And so we proceeded with the Mass, and I watched everybody anoint the walls. Just It was just beautiful. I was so moved. It just... If you ever get a chance, go. It's very, very beautiful, very spiritual. And Father, how about that? I mean, uh, it's kind of it's amazing, isn't it, that anointing is something that, uh, yeah, we can transform. Uh, well, the altar becomes bow-worthy, I suppose you could say, and, <laughs> because of the anointing. It does indeed. And I agree with the caller that if you ever have a chance to see the dedication of a new church— Go, even if it's not your home parish, go. Because to see how God works in the world and through the sacraments and through the office of the bishop and the office of the priesthood and the diaconate, it's a wonderful thing to witness. And many Catholics have never been to a chrism mass. Mm-hmm. And I would urge your uh, listeners to to go and be a living witness to the the vitality of the local church, and to be there and to stand there in unity with your bishop. And then that wonderful procession where people are looking for their priest. Oh, there's our priest. That's a wonderful moment. I I just think that more Catholics would be blessed if they would take the time to attend a chrism mass. 
Yeah, I agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Benito, thank you for the call. Let's go from Benito to Vincent, who's calling in from Sacramento, California. Good morning, Vincent. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. This is my first call in many, many years, but you struck a nerve. Uh, I had an experience uh, 25 years ago. I had a cardiac arrest. They brought me back with the paddles. My faithful parish priest came out and administered uh, the, uh, you know, the anointing of the sick. Uh, And then very shortly afterwards, I I had this wonderful, miraculous consolation, uh, uh, you know, of an awareness of God's immediate presence and his power and his love. And, uh, and it really, you know, and it, and the fact that regardless of whether I lived or died, uh, he was perfectly able to take care of me and my family. And, um, and from that moment, I lost uh, what I had had my whole life, which was this horrible, morbid fear of death. Uh, and it just went away. Uh, I became at peace with the idea that, uh, that we're mortal. And now, a quarter of a century later, I have advanced cancer, and death may not be far off. And I'm, I'm still enjoying that wonderful blessing. Uh, I'm totally at peace. Other people worry. Uh, they feel sorry for me. I, you know, but I'm I'm perfectly happy. I, I know God's in charge, and maybe He'll cure me. Maybe He won't. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, uh, it's all in His hands. So, and He loves me, and He can take care of me. So, no problem. Beautiful testimony, Vincent. Thank you for that, Father. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Remember that the deepest healing that we need is spiritual healing, the healing of our soul, the cleansing of our soul from sin and the freeing our soul of our soul from eternal death. So the oil of the sick is used for those two healings. If it is the will of God, we ask for physical healing. But we always, always know that the Lord will give spiritual healing. And that's actually the more important of the two. And what I think was so great about that call is how that the anointing cast out fear. Right. That is a great testimony to the power of an anointing. And I have seen that so many times in my priestly ministry. And so many of the most poignant moments of my priestly ministry have been in the anointing of the sick mm-hmm. and to see people freed from the fear of death and to know that that God is with them and that the church is with them. It's powerful, powerful. Yes, thank you, Vincent. If you have an experience like Vincent's where you have received the anointing of the sick and it has made a difference in you spiritually, it has brought healing spiritually, maybe it's brought feeling, healing physically as well, want to hear your testimony, give us a call. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Well, Father, maybe just going a little bit more deeply into the anointing of the sick as well, can you describe to us a little bit just what's involved in the anointing of the sick? In the past, it was a much more elaborate ritual. The priest would show up at your door very often with a server and a, a lighted candle and the oils. There was almost like a procession into your house. In the contemporary church, it can be can be a much more casual kind of entry. We never know exactly, you know, the state of the person or where they are. So 
So it can be in a home, it can be in a hospital, it can be in a, a nursing facility. What we want, of course, is for family to be there with us. I, I go in, there are prayers, there's a greeting, and there are prayers that we say before the anointing. There is the formula itself, by this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. And ideally, you anoint the person on the forehead and the palms of their hands. Sometimes you have to adapt because their hands may not be available. Very often in hospitals when there are lots of tubes and, you know, and the hands are uh, under a, a lot of bedding, what I've found is that sometimes it's too painful for the person to, to offer their, their hands. The priest has to be flexible. He has to be aware of the pastoral situation. Sometimes the person you're anointing is not able to respond to you. Ideally, the person, we would clear the room and the person would offer a confession and then the anointing would take place. That can't always happen, doesn't always happen. But that's the ideal. And I would urge your your listeners, if you are in need of the anointing of the sick, please, if you are able, ask the, the priest who's visiting you to first hear your confession and then anoint you. That's the fullness of this sign. It's the fullness of this sacred moment. And one thing I've noticed in the years I've been ordained is that the confession part of this has kind of withered away, and that is lamentable. Yeah, it is. It is because you receive the fullness of the the two sacraments of healing altogether. I can definitely see how that would be the preferred method and manner of uh, the the receiving the anointing of the sick fully in that way. Our spiritual director again today, Father Jim Goins from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and we are talking about anointing. And uh, specifically right now, we're speaking about the anointing of the sick. So if you have a story of receiving the anointing of the sick and it brought about healing in your life, give us a call at 888 Father, just another question about the anointing of the sick. Uh, so what what is the state of health that a person needs to be in in order to request the anointing of the sick? I mean, do they need to be at death's door, or is it something maybe a little bit more available than that? Great question. That is a terrific question. No, you don't have to be at death's door. And in fact, I encourage my parishioners to involve me in their illness earlier than the last days or hours. Okay. I find it a bit interesting about Catholic culture that there is this idea still floating about that you don't call for the priest until the person is breathing their very last. And it's almost as if some Catholics think it has to be a drama to get the priest there in time. No, that that's not the ideal. Let your priest know if you have a serious illness. You can be anointed more than once. Now we don't we don't believe that you should be anointed 
you know, again and again and again for the same illness. There's a joke amongst priests that, you know, well, they've been anointed so many times, they will just simply slide into heaven. There's there's a a happy medium, you know, involve us in the illness, call for us, let us know about the illness, let us come out and anoint. It does not mean that you have to die. Some Catholics think if I show up with the oils, that they are dying. That happened to me this week. Uh, one of my parishioners said, is this the last rites? And I said, well, I don't intend for it to be, but <laughs> right. God is in charge of all of that. Uh, there will be a last anointing, you know, for faithful Catholics. There is a last anointing, and there are prayers, commendations for the dying, but you don't have to be. And yeah. one thing— Another thing that people don't realize is that if you are suffering from mental illness, you can be anointed. Hmm. So if you are dealing with depression, if you are dealing with out-of-control anxiety, you may approach your priest and ask for the anointing. Now, we don't want it to become rote and meaningless. We don't want it to become superstitious. Sometimes in flu season, people will ask for the anointing. They're not sick, but they don't want to get the flu. Well, that's a superstitious use of the sacrament, and that is to be avoided. But Catholics should be encouraged to approach the priest, even if they're not on their deathbed. Okay, very good, very good. Let's take another phone call, Father. We've got Lee, who's calling in from Iowa. Lee, good morning. Welcome. Thank you for calling. My story kind of goes along with the previous caller. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer here four years ago, and I uh, had a major surgery coming, so I was talking to our parish priest and about getting the anointing, and he offered it out to our house. And um, part of our family was there, and actually my three- or four-year-old granddaughter was there, and she was able to hold the Bible for the priest, and so she felt a big part of that. And I would totally agree with that previous call. It it put it took a little time maybe, but took away ninety percent of my fear of what I was going to go through and what I've been through in the since then. And then also, Father, when you mentioned um, it's probably best to get the sacrament of um, reconciliation prior to that, I actually received it the second time with a with a we had changed priest in the meantime and I was going to go through another procedure and I happened to be in confession at the time in the confessional, and, and I brought it up to the priest, and he offered it to me right there in the confessional. So the second time I got it, it was right in the confessional. And and going back to what the previous caller said, it, it just, you know, I don't want it to happen any sooner than it's going to, but I, I do not fear it anymore. So when I go get my regular checkups, the fear is 95% gone. It, it is amazing. Thank you for that description of how it happened, because... Your experience of this sacrament is very much the way the Church intends for it to be, and I love the image of your granddaughter there. To have the family there with the person who's going to be anointed is a powerful moment and powerful testimony to the the communal love, you know, and the power of love and the power of healing within love, the love of God. Uh, working through the oil of the anointing. It's, that's a beautiful imagery. 
It is. It is indeed, Lee. Thank you for that. Let's take another phone call. Natalie is calling in from the Santa Cruz Mountains. Natalie, thanks for calling. Welcome to The Inner Life. Good morning. How are you today? Doing well. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. This is a fabulous show. <laughs> I am so verklempt. This uh, chrism mass is my favorite out of all the masses. And I was, um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I've been to a lot of different masses, but I... This is the one that is so solid when I see the parade come in of all the priests and um, the regalia of the Knights of Columbus. It is just so much imagery from my childhood. But I wanted to call about um, having an anointing before I went in for a surgery um, back a few years. I didn't. I wanted to make sure that the surgery, in case something happened, that I would. I would. Um, have been anointed and the surgery was successful. My priest had anointed my forehead and my hands, which I tried not to wash for a long time. It smelled so incredibly beautiful. But after my surgery, I was lying in the hospital and I was thinking, I feel different. And I realized that I was anointed with the, the Lord had taken away some mental bitterness and some anger that I had had about some things from the distant past. And I felt probably 25 pounds lighter. And I just thought my life started over from that anointing. It was, it was fabulous. Amazing and beautiful. I'm so glad that you called in so that more people out there can hear of the, the wonder and the miraculous nature of these sacraments. Sometimes we think that they are simply something the priest comes and does, you know, he's there, he's gone. Okay, we, we, we did that. But people need to know that it has great power and that it is a healing power that frees you from so much, not just fear, but maybe frees you from old grudges or old wounds I mean, the power of the healing and the depth of the healing, that the Lord intends to heal every aspect of our lives. That's beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. Natalie, thank you so much for the call. What a great... What a great testimony. A lot of great testimonies today about anointing. Uh, specifically, we've been talking about the anointing of the sick. we got other sacraments, though, that use anointing, and so we're going to get into those a little bit as well. If you have a story about receiving anointing, whether it was through anointing of the sick or a different sacrament in which we use anointing, give us a call. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. We're going to be back with more with our spiritual director from Father Jim Goins right after this. Stay with us. A little less than a year ago, I was listening to you on the radio. The Patrick Madrid Show. I was Protestant Lutheran, and you were one of the people that helped me on my journey to becoming Catholic. Last week, I did my first confession. My teacher said when I came out, he said I was glowing, so I don't know what happened there, but it, it was great. <laughs> I believe it. I wanted to say thank you for uh, helping me along the journey. The Patrick Madrid Show. I guess I'll make my way to confession then. Amen, brother. That's where it's at, man. 8 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio. Today, we'd like to thank David, who is listening in New Jersey, for donating his Chevy Caprice. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting RelevantRadio.com car. That's RelevantRadio.com car. 
We are back here on The Inner Life. My name is Patrick Connolly. My thanks to our producer, Nick Sentovich, and Sarah Tavoya, who's taken some of your calls there as well. Speaking of calls, there's many of them coming in. I'm grateful that so many of you have a great testimony about receiving anointing at some point. Now, of course, Father, sacrament of the anointing of the sick is not the only place we receive anointing, but also confirmation is a big one that I'm guessing a lot of people remember. Do you remember your own confirmation, Father? Well, actually, I am a convert to the Catholic faith. I did not, was not confirmed until I was in my early 20s. And I had been attending Mass for years. I began attending Mass in college, wrestled with the decision for years, and was just riven with, you know, pulled between a reluctance to, you know, embrace Catholicism and yet, you know, drawn to it. And when I finally surrendered to this, and at the Easter Vigil, my my local pastor, the, the pastor, the priest, who instructed me in the faith, and when I was confirmed, you know, I took the name Luke, and when I was confirmed, this feeling, you know, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon me in that anointing, and all of that angst just dropped away. And that I realized that I had been called by God, led by the Holy Spirit to this church, that this is where God wanted me to live my life of faith, Hmm. and was surprised, as people often are, surprised by the grace and the power. And I will never forget it. I will never forget that Easter vigil. I will never forget that night. And being confirmed by my my local priest, my pastor, and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon me. It was mm. it was a defining moment in my life. Well thanks be to God and thank you for for coming to the Catholic Church, Father. And uh, I too am a convert and have my own story of confirmation not dissimilar to yours. So grateful that you shared that. Let's hear another story about confirmation. Aisha has been waiting patiently uh, from Glendora, California. Aisha, welcome to the inner life. Thanks for waiting. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Father. Good morning. This, this Good morning. Is so amazing. I, I love your story because. I'm also a convert myself. Um, I was born a Muslim, and I became a Catholic. And just the whole preparation time uh, for to receive my sacrament. And our pastor, like you said, your pastor and my pastor did the same thing, just preparing us. And when the time came for us to receive uh, all our sacraments, I was in such anticipation because I knew what God was going to do for me, this ordinary person that came all the way from Africa and found the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we were baptized and then confirmed and received the Holy Eucharist, I I tell you, my life changed forever. I can remember the day like it was just today because the Holy Spirit just came and I just felt the, the heat and the power of God in my heart, just burning, just preparing me for the journey ahead. And after the experience, I, I, I started, you know, also going to catechism and, and taught catech- cate- other uh, students and just got my certification because I just love what I received from God. And I wanted to pass it on to other people. And then in the whole process as well, have to experience the anointing of the sick as well. 
again. And that also just the beauty of the hands being, you know, laid on me and everybody that at at was around put their hands on me before my, 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 my uh, surgery. It was so amazing. And really, my life has changed. And I'm, I'm in, in the faith strong till today. And we're getting ready for confirmation and just talking to the students about what God is doing for them in their lives. It's just so wonderful. And I pray that all of us just begin to feel that presence of the Holy Spirit and taste it and see the goodness of God. That's all I was going Amen. to say. Thank you for allowing me Amen. to be here. It's an amazing moment when we realize that the God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who could live without me and yet wants me to be his son, wants you to be his daughter, and that he called you and called me and brought us to that moment in which we were sealed by the coming down of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, to me, gives me such um, grace and, and such gratitude. I've always felt very grateful for that moment, because it was a moment in which something opened for me, a, a whole new view of God and view of the church and view of my place in this world opened up to me to realize I am a beloved son of God. You are beloved daughter of God. I think that is one of the great things about confirmation. The other thing I would mention here, Patrick, if if I may, Please. is I tell I tell my my young people who are preparing for confirmation. I worked with college students for twelve years, and I always told them this: the sacrament of confirmation is so necessary because you need the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Spirit enough, and Catholics. Young Catholics especially need to know that there will come a moment, there is some moment in everyone's future where we will have to make a very important moral decision. We will have to decide which way we're going to go. And without the aid of the Holy Spirit, without its presence within us, we would not be able to make the right decision. And I think that confirmation is so important, and I'm so glad that in most of our parishes, we do everything we can to to get as many young people there in that moment to be filled, you know, anew with the Holy Spirit who will protect them and guide them throughout their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without a doubt, and great, uh, great encouragement there, Father, our spiritual director, Father Jim Goins, and as we're talking about anointing and many places that we can and do receive the anointing uh, with oils in in the sacramental life of the church. If you have a story, if you have a story about maybe the time when you were confirmed, and or maybe you have a question about confirmation, maybe you're preparing for confirmation even this this Easter, as Aisha, our last caller, as uh, Father himself, and I have all experienced as an adult getting ready for confirmation. Uh, give us a call. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, we've got Megan who's calling in from Boston with a question for us. Megan, welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, 
I just had a question about anointing the sick, which was um, when my dad was near the end of his life, we had a priest come for the anointing um, when he was still very much able to participate and talk to the priest about it. And, um, and then he got worse over a couple of weeks and passed away. But towards the end, he asked for a priest to come and we didn't have one come because had oh did we lose Megan? And I didn't know if that's like too soon or hello. Well, I think I understand Megan. What even though we kind of lost you there for a moment, I think I know what you're talking about. The many families wonder: is it too soon for another anointing? That's really at the discretion of the priest and should be done in dialogue with the family or dialogue with the person. I I think that if he had been anointed and then passed two weeks later, you know, he's he was fine. I mean that that was a good decision that you made to have him anointed. I would not feel any doubt or guilt about not having a second anointing done. I think your father was uh was served well spiritually. Generally speaking, if someone asks for me to come even if I had just been there, I do everything I can to go again. You know, that's most, and most priests feel that way. And, and by the way, since you're calling from Boston, I always have to say this. I, I was born in Massachusetts as well. It's always good to talk to people from there. Yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Very good. Megan, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Fathers, we've, we've had some emails uh, come in as well. Um, one particular one that seems to come up more than once is that uh, can non-Catholics receive the anointing of the sick? The sacraments of the Church, this is a great question, and it's a touchy question. The sacraments of the Church are for members of the church. So, no, they should not be. Now, many parish priests, myself included, can be in a pastoral situation where the the rules of the church don't necessarily seem to fit well in the pastoral situation, and we have to make choices. Okay. And a good example of that is if you have the spouse of a Catholic, and this spouse has gone to Mass with the Catholic party for years and years, but never joined, and then they fall very ill, and the Catholic spouse wants them anointed. That's a very <laughs> difficult pastoral sure. situation for priests, and I often appeal to Catholic by osmosis, or, you know, I try to do everything I can to respect the doctrine of the Church. You know, I need to respect the doctrine of the Church. I also need to be a kind and pastoral priest. So it can be a difficult pastoral situation. Priests will resolve that, you know, in their own conscience, and they may go different ways on that question. I tend to you know, try to do the most loving and pastoral thing that I can in this situation. Got it. Got it. And then just and in our last minute, yeah, very good. In our last minute before we receive your blessing, Father, um, Amy, who's listening on the app, has asked her teenage daughter is about to undergo some pretty serious surgery. And what about that? Although it's not necessarily life-threatening, um, it is serious surgery. Can she receive the anointing of the sick? She should. 
now I'm assuming she's been confirmed. She should. There, I always tell people, look, we think that surgeries are routine, but they're never routine. I have seen routine surgeries go south, and I've seen you know bad outcomes. So absolutely make sure she is prayed over by her priest and anointed. Wonderful. Very good. Well, great show, great testimonies that came in. Thank you for all of you who called. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all the calls, but glad that you have a testimony about receiving anointing. Father, before we let you go, if we could get your blessing, please. May Almighty God pour out His grace and His mercy and His healing upon you. May He draw you ever deeper into the mystery of His great passion for your soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Jim Goins from Oklahoma City is our spiritual director for today. Thank you for joining us, Father, and thank you for joining us as well. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday and Holy Week. It's not too late to make the most of Holy Week, so join us tomorrow. Coming up next, we've got, of course, the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass with Father Ed Looney. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, grace and peace.